Hello and welcome to the podcast for Ray Church of the Nazarene. I'm Ben Beckner, Senior Pastor, and I'm glad that you have tuned in to listen to our services and sermons. We would also love to have you join us in person at 410 Blake Street in Ray, Colorado for our Sunday morning worship services that begin at 1045. We also have Sunday school classes for all ages that begin at 945 and a Spanish service that begins at 9 a.m. There are also various other activities and Bible studies that you can be involved in throughout the week, including youth group and children's quizzing. Please visit our website at raynazarene.org and our Facebook page for more information. We have something for everyone to encounter God with people just like you desiring to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, thank you and welcome to our podcast. This week's episode is a message from our sermon series entitled, We Are Family. This week's message is entitled, He is Able, and we discuss God's sovereignty and our response to that. Thank you once again for listening. This morning, and we've been going through a series called We Are Family, and I'm not breaking from that series, but um, I feel like God was definitely impressing some things on my heart in response to um, a lot of the things that are happening in the world around us. Um, And one of the things I kept coming back to was this, this idea of God's sovereignty, and God's ability to be in control despite the chaos around us. And so this morning, this message I've entitled, He is Able. Um, And I want to begin by asking this this question to you this morning. Is God sovereign? And I think if we are to explore that and understand that correctly, we need to maybe look to what's a dictionary? How does a dictionary even define sovereign? Um, You would find words and phrases like superior, greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, independent of all others. Um, But I don't really think that that captures the essence of God's sovereignty and the way that God expects us and wants us to understand that He is sovereign. If we look through Scripture, and we're going to jump through and highlight a bunch of passages today. Um, I did not put a PowerPoint together, so um, if you're wanting to take notes, I encourage you to do that, but there won't be anything on the screen for you today. Um, But I'm going to be kind of highlighting many passages of Scripture that talk about God's sovereignty. If we're to give it a kind of a quick, easy definition, God's sovereignty means that He is in control. There's a context and a biblical definition of what it means to be sovereign. Basically, we need to understand that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that happens in the universe that's outside of God's influence and His authority. As King of kings and Lord of lords, God has no limitations. Here's just a few claims that Scripture makes about God. God is above all things and before all things. In Revelations 21, verse 6, it says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We see in Scripture, if we look at in the beginning in Genesis, so that's the end of of our, of our Bible. In the beginning of our Bible, in Genesis, we see the creation story. 
And, and it talks about how he set all of these things in motion. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. To understand God's sovereignty, we understand, too, that he knows all things past, present, and the future. There's no limit to his knowledge. He knows everything completely. In Romans 11.33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. God can do all things and accomplish all things. We see in Scripture there's nothing too difficult for him. He orchestrates and determines everything that's going to happen in our lives and throughout the world. Whatever he wants to do in this universe, he does, for nothing is impossible with him. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17, it says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God is in control of all things and rules over all things. He has power and authority over nature, over earthly kings, history, angels, demons. Even Satan himself has to ask God's permission before he can act. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Again, it's another picture of God's sovereignty, his overall rule. And, I was, and I, was, I, was, I was thinking about this and studying this, studying God's sovereignty and how, what's a great way for us to, to really kind of see that in the way that, that our lives interact and intersect with God's sovereignty. And I was brought to the story of, of Joseph. Now, Joseph was, was a guy that was not well-liked by his brothers. And in fact, we could even say he was probably hated at this moment in time. There was... There was a time when they had just had it with him, and they wanted to get rid of him. And I wanted to get rid of my brothers, too, growing up, so I could relate to that. But what they did was, was kind of at a different level. Uh, what they did was they sold him into slavery. They just took this evil act and just, they got rid of him. So in Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20, we're, we're catching the end of, of this story where Joseph had been redeemed in many ways. God had used that situation, and he had brought forth his own purposes. And so in Genesis 15, 50, verses 19 through 20, it says, You intended to harm me. In fact, I'm going to read that. I was going to read it from my notes, but I'm going to read more of the passage here. Genesis 50 Verses 19 through 20, but Joseph said to them, his brothers, don't be afraid. I am, in, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So in, in studying that, that passage, we, and again, I'm not an English major, but there's some things I do remember that I think are pretty important for us to, to consider as we look at these couple of verses. Um, 
in 19, it says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You, verse 20, you intended to harm me. So that's a past tense of what his brothers were doing. So what they did in the past, their intent was harm. Their intent was evil. But it's interesting that the tense doesn't change here as he goes on to explain how God acted in this. So it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. So God, I think this is just interesting. I was just really struck by this. The actions of evil that were done in the past by his brothers, God intended at the same time in the past in what was currently happening for that to happen for good. And that good didn't happen right in that moment, but later on. I love how it's said for, for him to save many lives. Now, that's great, and I think we can reinforce that when we look at Psalm 105, verse 17. Psalm 105, verse 17 is, is again, is, it's a testimony of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And you read through there, and, and you can be encouraged by that. But then we get to the story of Joseph, and in verse 17 it says, And he sent a man before them. Joseph sold his slave. Did you catch it? God sent him. So that means that in the midst of the evil that was happening, God was in full control. God didn't just like, oh man, what am I going to do? Oh, I've got an idea. Let's do this. That didn't happen. God's intent and purpose was to send Joseph. Despite the evil that was happening, God sent him. God is in full control. So that's what being sovereign means. It means being the ultimate source of all power and of all authority and everything that exists. Only God can make these claims. And it's only His sovereignty that makes Him superior to all other gods and makes Him and Him alone worthy of worship. So as we understand God's sovereignty in this way, there needs to be a response on our part. If we understand who He is, what He's done, we have to respond in some way. And if we're understanding it right, if we understand how great, how mighty, how good God is and how much in control... The first thing I think we need to do is maybe submit to that sovereignty. We need to allow that sovereignty to order our lives in such a way that it pleases Him. Romans 8.28 says, In all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His, His purpose. And that's an amazing promise, not only because it demonstrates that this all-powerful God can... Uh, is concerned about us, that cares for us, but it also shows that He is in full control of every situation. The next thing, God's sovereignty provides us with His comfort. He does not change. God does not change. He's not changed from beginning to the end. He has not changed now. And in Hebrews 13.8, it says exactly that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, 
today and forever. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. In Psalm 102.25-27, it says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your, ear, your years will never end. God is here. God is present. He's not far away. And he is not absent. That should bring us great comfort. God's sovereignty inspires us to worship Him. Because God is completely good. And completely sovereign, he is completely worthy of worship. The biblical claims listed above, as we've gone through this list, are specific reasons why Christians worship God. Psalm 41, verses 1 and 2, is another one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. If we look through the rest many more of these psalms, we can see how, this, how he was able to worship and chose to worship because he saw where God had rescued him. In Psalm 18, 16 through 17, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from my foes who were too strong for me. God provided. If we look at Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And if we jump to Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye. We can see that God leads us. It's important and it's good to worship. For the way that he works in our lives and the way that he works in the world around us. But the psalmist also shows us in Psalm 145, verse 3, that Christians can always worship simply because God is just always worthy. It says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Recognizing God's sovereignty is recognizing who He is. Worship encompasses that. It recognizes who God is and who we are in light of that. So we've gone through a few things here. Our response to God's sovereignty, it calls for our submission It provides us with comfort. It inspires us to worship. It also inspires us to trust without being afraid. If we look at fear in the dictionary, it's often defined as an emotion that we encounter when we perceive a threat. Fear is an emotion that's also given to us by God. God uses it. We experience fear when... Situations of natural disasters or diseases or viruses invade our world. We experience fear when we're on the receiving end of evil decisions made by others, as we read with the story of Joseph. Fear, as we understand it spiritually, is a distortion of the truth. And a few weeks ago, we talked a lot about fear. We talked about what fear is and our response to that, and I'm, and I'm hitting on that a little bit again. But I also want us to understand, too, that there's a bit of a difference between fear and being afraid. 
Being afraid is often defined in the dictionaries as feel, is this feeling of fear or anxiety. And it has more to do with our response to fear as an emotion. So being afraid means that we may be unwilling or reluctant to do something for fear of the consequences. We experience that when we have this leading the Holy Spirit to go share something with somebody about God. And we, we're afraid, we we're, have this feeling of fear, and it keeps us from sometimes being obedient. We experience it when, when there are situations around us that, that may cause us harm. And we're seeing a lot of that in the world around us today. People have this response to fear. And this response sometimes paralyzes or, or keeps us from responding in the way that God intends for us to. In that sermon a few weeks back that I talked about, I gave this quote from General George Patton that faith is fear holding on a moment longer. And that, that moment, that choice of acknowledging that, yeah, I'm afraid, but my faith says that I need to respond is, is that what we wrestle with. And so this commandment in Scripture that we see in many places, this commandment is do not be afraid. The commandment doesn't say do not fear in, in that fear that would keep us from being afraid or keep us from responding the way that God wants us to. So that commandment, do not be afraid, is a command not against not feeling fear, but not living in that place, not being camped there, not being unwilling to move according to how God instructs us to. God's sovereignty should also inspire us to love. I love this quote by Mr. Rogers. Now, I wasn't a big Mr. Rogers fan as a kid, but I came across this, this quote a few times, and I saw it posted actually again today. Mr. Rogers says, My mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping, he said. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words, and I'm always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers, so many caring people in this world. This is a different response than what we see often around us, and especially happening today. This is a mark that we as Christians need to be carrying and need to be known by. This mark of love and responding in love. How do we do that? How do we model that? How do we live that out? We're told today to maintain the social distancing. And I've really struggled with that word, social distancing. Because us as Christians are known by how we gather. And I think, and we're going to have to learn how to do this, but we're going to have to learn to do this in ways that are a little bit different than what we've always done. And we can do this, again, through the gifts of modern technology. We have ways that we can be in touch with one another when we can't be face-to-face, kneecap-to-kneecap, eyeball-to-eyeball. But we can make phone calls, and we can send texts, and we can be on Facebook and different things like that. And as we're doing this today, we're live streaming our services so that those that can't be can still be connected. And that social distancing 
is a physical term. You know, they're, they're not wanting us to be within six feet of one another. And I, and I think that that's good. We need to, to be taking some precautions. But, but we, can't, we can't give up this meeting together. We can't give up this opportunity to, to be together, to encourage one another, to live life alongside one another, to love one another. We can look for tangible ways to live this out in, in one another's lives. There are people that, that are going to be needing things, people that can't get out, whether that's because of a virus or because of weather or any number of things. And we need to be looking and staying connected with one another to maybe bring groceries, maybe shovel sidewalks, maybe doing some things that, that they can't do, that we can Maybe share rolls of toilet paper for those that are running low. I don't know. Um, but there are ways that we can show and experience love with and, and for one another. One of the last things that God's sovereignty compels us to respond is in the way we pray. So Christians need to be known by the way we love, but we also need to be known as people of prayer. There are several biblical calls to prayer as we find in Scripture. Psalmists are calling for it. And again, in Psalm 6, 9, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. In the New Testament, Jesus models this for his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke 11, known as the Lord's Prayer. And also in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. God makes this promise. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And that's how we're going to close today. We're going to close in prayer. There are many, many needs around us. This time and this culture around us calls for a need and a response of prayer. And so I want to invite you to do that with me today. Um, I'm going to open the altars. Elaine, if you want to play, you are welcome to, but if you want to participate in prayer too in this way, I'm going to leave that up to you. But we are going to pray together as a church family today. And we're going to be praying for, for a few different needs um, we talked about some of those this morning through the various needs that you guys gave me. But we're also going to be praying for our community, state, and our nation, our government leaders, um, our communities, our church, and our response. And so we're going to be doing that together. And again, our altars are open, and I would invite you to come here. Maybe you want to be together as a family. And I know we're not supposed to be holding hands and things like that. But if you as a family want to do that, hold hands together, um, I would encourage you to participate that way. But we as a body, as this family, gather together. We're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning. And again, we're thankful that we have this opportunity to be together. And Father, we recognize now 
that we need to come before you. We realize today, God, that, that you are sovereign, that you are in full control of everything around us, the things that have happened and are happening. This did not surprise you. This didn't catch you off guard. But you are in full control. So, Father, today, we want to come to you and acknowledge that, acknowledge your sovereignty, and acknowledge that only you can accomplish your purposes. So each one of you today, where you are, would you pray for our community, our state, and our nation? Would you pray for our government leaders, local, county, state, and national leaders? This morning, would you pray for our healthcare workers? This morning, would you pray for our community? Would you pray for your family?
Lastly, this morning, would you pray for our church and our response? Father, this morning we thank you that you hear our prayers. Father, we lift up our community to you. We lift up an opportunity, Father, that you would be glorified in this situation. That you would help us to understand what our response should be and can be. That you would help us as a family, as a church family, as a group of believers, to be known by our love and to be known by prayer. Be a people of prayer. That we can be an active part of shining light in a dark place and in a dark time. Father, that you would give each of us wisdom, discernment, sensitivity to your Holy Spirit to respond, to speak, to give acts of love to one another. And I pray, God, that you would be able to use this in such a way that you would draw people to you. That you would help us, as it talks about in First Peter, to give a reason for the hope that we have. Because we serve a God who's sovereign, who is in control. And we are a people living in response to your sovereignty. So help us, God. I pray that you would be with each leader, each family, community member in such a way that you would bring protection. We ask, God, for your protection. We pray for safety and health of those that are in direct contact with this, those that may suffer from some compromised immune issues, Whatever the situation may be, we pray and ask for your protection. And we pray and ask for your healing for those that are already sick. And we pray, God, we look to you for guidance, answers. And I pray that our church would be um, a bright light in this dark time. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. forever and ever. Amen.